So I'm M and I am D and we are La Petite Mort where we talk about everything taboo between sex and death and everything in between and today today is the day that we have a really fun guest we have Mistress Augustina yay say hi hello hello we're so excited to have you I'm so excited to be here okay perfect we are going to start with our ever-loving question we like to and interrogate all of our our guests with (laughs) go ahead em all right so from princess to pervert who are you in your work persona i mean to go for yet another alliteration i would say that anywhere between sweetheart and sadist pretty much sums it up love that love that so we should maybe tell our listeners who we're speaking Mm -hmm. it's super badass (laughs) y'all we're just really excited to be here buckle your boots take a very long time to buckle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely asked that on an Instagram story. I was like, are they comfortable? <laughs> Surprisingly, you know what I'm going to tell you? The super high ones far more comfortable than the normal ones. Really? Yeah, because they're built to be worn for hours and look absolutely ridiculous. And yet Fair. Aldo does not have the same principles. <laughs> Aldo. God okay, damn. Augustina, tell us who you are. Who are you? What do you do for work? Tell us. Um, I am Mistress Augustina. I am a professional dominatrix that has been working for approximately six years after being in the lifestyle community since 19. I did run several events in that community, but then sort of channeled most of my energy into a professional business. Love that. Love that. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So since we're so green in the world of BDSM and the kink community, can you please give us a synopsis on what BDSM stands for and what that lifestyle is like? What is? Fantastic. Uh, BDSM stands as an acronym for Bondage, Domination, Submissive, uh, Masochism. So I also think that Kink and BDSM are not necessarily inherently the same thing. Okay. All of BDSM is kink, but not all of kink is BDSM in the same way that all shallots are onions, but not all onions are shallots. Love it. <laughs> I know it's a really weird metaphor to make, but at the same time, I think it does actually exemplify what I'm trying to say. Okay. So oftentimes, I think that kink sort of encompasses any sort of deviance from what we assume as a society to be us normal sexuality i don't necessarily love to use that word but i also do think that normal exists because otherwise what would a normal be true um and bdsm i think refers more directly to a certain set of active experiences including things like pain play uh bondage ds is included in that which is either role play and or uh, psychological emotional relationship it does have quite the scale um and then SM, which is obviously sadomasochism, which is sort of where a lot of the verbiage originally came from in terms of the community. However, I don't necessarily think that that is everything that kinky people uh, encompass. Okay. Even though I think that BDSM is sort of the generalized term. Gotcha. Okay. 
That's awesome. That is actually a really good definition. That helps a lot. Okay, so then I think a huge question that a lot of people would have is, is BDSM centered around sex and pain, or is there a variety of facets within that lifestyle? There is such a variety because it is very literally everything that is not normal. It is literally the infinity of everything that is not average. And so it's interesting because a lot of people do assume that kink and BDSM are inherently connected to pain in the sense that I get a lot of clients who are literally like, I'm not into pain. I'm like, that's great. I'm be real with you. Only about 30% of my clients are. And I think that it is this misconception that is really, truly pushed um, by the media because it's sort of the most misunderstood part of kink, I think, in a lot of ways. And so it's sort of honestly like one of the most taboo, one of also the most um, dramatic. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. something that people see and they're like, I don't get that. And so that's almost what kind of became this narrative. Um, and I think that sex is a huge part of kink and I think it's a huge part of BDSM, but I don't actually necessarily think that they are intrinsically linked. Um, I think that there are a lot of people do... Um, their sexuality is centered around kink and or their kink is limited by their sexuality. But personally, I find that my kink is much more rooted in an emotional aspect that means it's actually quite separated from my sexuality, even if I enjoy kinky sex. Um, And I think that also having that understanding that kink can be far more complex than what is seen... um, can make a lot of people realize that they are accepted in this community because I think that that's something that I've experienced a lot is people being like well I'm interested in this thing but like I hope that I'm enough because I'm not interested in this thing it's something I get all the time and that is the thing is that why I love kink so much and why I love it as a profession is because it is intrinsically a relationship and an experience with another person and no matter how well you know a person every experience you have with them is a little bit different and can can very much be the same because it is very much sort of an expression of um, a connection whether that's limited within a professional boundary or it's a lifestyle Um, but it is really and truly uh, it depends on the person yeah like, the definitions come from generalities, but they are not exclusive to the identity of being kinky or into BBSF. Okay. And I, like that. I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> pain. What do people want in pain? What does that mean? Because you're saying, so I was, I am one of those people who was like, pain? It's <laughs> not your thing. It's right? not my thing. And I'm like, but, like, what do people want? And how painful? <laughs> Like, are we talking, like, I cry myself to sleep? Or, like, are we talking, like, just, like, a little, like, smack? Okay. Hopefully you're not crying yourself to sleep. If you're going to cry, it's going to be in front of me because that's what I want to see. I actually did write a blog post that is available on my website called The Four Main Motivations of Masochism. And I'm going to do my best to remember them all because that was like two years ago. But it is very important because I do think that a lot of people associate the concept of masochism with enjoying pain. And I actually, not most of my masochists enjoy pain. So pain can, in some people, be a physically pleasurable experience and not necessarily in the sense that you stub your toe and you're like, ooh, baby. That (laughs) doesn't happen even really with masochists, right? It's incredibly contextual. 
Um, you know, a lot of people also really only enjoy pain if they're turned on, and that is in part because those are two very sensory, uh, two very intense sensory experiences. Um, and so I think that that is an element, but I think that's often what masochism is described as, and it's not necessarily actually what most people approach masochism as. So I think that another huge motivation is, um, people want to get high. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, there is a very, very, very specific way to essentially manipulate the body in order to induce an endorphin rush, and the best way to describe it is two steps forward, one step back. So you basically want to apply a small amount of pain, and then you want to pull back to basically allow the endorphins to hit the bloodstream and rush through the body, which creates the physiological experience that of being kind of spacey and high and happy, um, and then you push it a little further, okay. and a little further, but you always kind of a little bit back. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand is that there's not many people out there that just want to get fucking whacked. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> okay. Not a lot of people want to show up and get hit. Like, Beat me to death. But it's this thing where people are like, I, I, I don't necessarily want to come in and get, I'm like, you're not going to get come in and get slapped. Like, yeah. this process that happens. They walk through the door and you just start punching them in the face. parts of the body that you're supposed to hit versus not like okay. generally muscular um so like the ass the back uh inner thighs which is very sensitive but still relatively safe like anything that's pretty muscular tends to do really well you always want to avoid like face neck joints um lower tailbone spine those kind of things because they're not as protected okay right and so you don't necessarily want to, they're also like you can if your muscle is hurt you're gonna bruise which yeah. is hot if your spine hurts bad yeah Yeah, like i don't want to create that kind of pain right so then to to kind of go back so there is definitely those two and then i think that there are also very deeply psychological motivations as well in which people don't actually necessarily enjoy the pain itself but they enjoy what the pain means to them and i think that that can be divided into different two different categories i think that a lot of people are called endurance masochists okay which means that they don't actually enjoy the pain um, but they love to know what they got through after it's over. That's cool. And I think that that's a huge thing about, like, it's a very stark demonstration of strength mm-hmm. and endurance, right? That's why I use that word. And so, for example, like, I had a masochist, and she was such a masochist, and she hated being hit. She would get mad at me. Like, she wouldn't necessarily, like, express it, but I could see it in her face. Like, it, it made her angry to be hit. Wow. But then when the session was finished, she was like, oh, my God, I love that. Like, I love my bruises. I can't believe I got through that. And it was a huge sense of pride for her. Okay. To be honest with you, that, that like, she, she hit this. And then I think that there's also something that I personally call sacrificial suffering, which is primarily part of a more, like, DS-oriented, so dominant-submissive-oriented relationship in which the dominant might be a bit more sadistic or for whatever reason might want to engage in pain play and the submissive isn't really into it but because they want to please in that power dynamic within the emotional relationship that they have they i don't even want to just say consent i want to say that they actually come to that experience in the sense of a sacrifice Right, in the okay. sense that they are doing something that they don't want to do as a representation of their submission. Okay. 
Um, and that can also be really valuable because it can be a very intimate experience, right? Mm -hmm. And that is something that, that a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily understand. They might conflate sometimes, I think, even with abuse, but I don't think that it is because in my experience, it's also that's also the thing is that BDSM is very much distinguished from abuse by consent. That is the yes. That is the line. If you don't have it, it's not um, BDSM. And even within that, I think that sometimes, you know, BDSM can be unhealthy depending on the people that are involved in it. Absolutely. So consent isn't necessarily always protection, but that's besides the point. Yeah, that's a good um, point though. That's a good distinction to make. Yes. So what drew you to BDSM and being a femdom? Um, that's interesting because I knew I was, well, I didn't know I was a femdom, but I had a lot of foreshadowing mm -hmm. um, prior to even my own sexuality. So for example, uh, you know, when I was in kindergarten, I had a friend that I would, like, pull out from under the bed, which was her prison. I would, like, you know, spank her when she was bad. And it wasn't necessarily anything that was sexual. It was just sort of us playing out this power dynamic. Um, and it's funny because even then in, in, you know, like, grade four and stuff like that, um, I was a bit of a bully. And I'm not necessarily, like, uh, proud to say that in terms of, like, the, the effect that that had on other people. Um, and only towards men. Well, boys at the time, you know, and it was yeah. just this sort of like weird, and it, it, again, it wasn't sexual in any capacity, but it was always just sort of this um, element to, I guess, my personality, and I do have a very dominant personality whatsoever, but basically sort of I got to this point where I think I was like 18, and I think like three days after my 18th birthday, I found this story about a DS couple, and it was like the first time that anything ever made sense, and I'm pretty sure that I just stayed in my room and masturbated for like three days straight. <laughs> Because I like literally could not. I was like, "What is this? This is finally real. Like, I'm not a terrible person. This is like, thing. oh my god, <laughs> this, this is a thing. <laughs> thing that other people are into. Like, I was, oh my god. Because that's the thing is also that I found the porn, but the porn is very specifically like BDSM, mm -hmm. right? It's not necessarily encompassing of all kink, and also it's not encompassing of emotional kink. It's really only encompassing the sort of like play and the sexual kink that a lot of people sort of only associate or limit their association to be. BDSM and think about. Um, so when I was about 19, um, I am pretty introverted, so actually I didn't necessarily, I was, I was way too shy to go to actual events. So what I did is I went to workshops. And for like the first year of my entire sort of community existence, I went to like every single workshop that came up that was of any interest to me, like That's literally cool. every single one. And weirdly enough, you know, you it, it's a good experience as an introvert because you have something to focus on and you can kind of chat with people after and people kind of get a sense of your face and they know that you're around. But you don't necessarily have to like go to a bar and talk to people, especially yeah. alone. A lot of people show up alone because a lot of people don't necessarily have friends in this community until they join the community. Sure. And yeah. so I was 19, I joined the community. Uh, you know, there's ups and downs even within that. I was in there a few years. I kind of took a little bit of a step back. Um, and it, I'm going to be real with you. Like I was broke. I didn't have a job. And I saw an ad for Dungeon. And I was like, well, go. I've been studying this for the past three years. I have experience, like all this kind of stuff. And it was great because even though the dungeon itself um, was small. Okay. Um, they actually, when I first got there, literally made me take a test. Oh, And cool. it was really interesting because the test includes questions like, what are the two types of pain? Sting and thud. Uh, what's a parachute? It's a CBD distension device. 
um, you know, where on the body do you hit versus you don't hit? Yeah. Like, these are questions that, honestly, if you want to be a dominatrix, you should know. Yes, 100%. Um, and it was, it was really interesting because then she actually brought out this whole thing and she was like, these are all the other people. And, like, a lot of people think that being a dominatrix is just yelling at people and it's really not. It is about all of this information and all this context. So I kind of got there and I took this test and I was, like, chatting with them and I was, like, filling out my answers and I handed it to them. And they looked at me, and they looked at each other, and I was like, I know I'm not wrong. Like, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I know I'm not wrong. And they were like, this is perfect. Like, you answered this all within eight minutes. Like, you clearly know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, And I also had to do a flogging demonstration and a bondage demonstration just to make sure that basically, like, I kind of knew to be safe. Yeah, that your technique was, like, down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so from there, I didn't necessarily stay with that dungeon for a very long time because it just didn't suit my needs. Um, But eventually I sort of ended up in the Ritual Chamber, which is another dungeon in the city. Um, And from there, I started to expand my career until I went independent. Um, And then I've been doing that ever since. So I basically am a lifestyle dom that sort of fell into being a professional dom and loves it like this is the career that I needed and I never even thought about it because and I think it was actually for the best I think that the fact that I wasn't like I want to be a dominatrix I'm gonna do all this stuff and the fact that I kind of fell into it and gradually built my business meant that it was actually far more authentic yeah and also that it was I'm gonna be real with you a lot safer Mm Because instead of sort of just throwing myself into this concept of what I wanted to be, um, I actually slowly kind of built up um, experience, reputation, and clientele. Mm-hmm. You know, and it does take time to build up clientele and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, is, it isn't quick money the way that a lot of people think that it is. You can make decent money. I'm not saying that you can't. Um but it is something that requires a bit of a history in the industry and or, I'm not going to lie to you, hiring someone to teach you. Mm-hmm. Like, I have spent over eight grand on my kink education, probably in total in terms of the workshops, conferences, and international conferences that I have traveled to to study. So um, that's actually sort of interrupt you. But that's a yeah, perfect segue, basically, to say, like, I was going to ask you, what is the, the comprehensive, like, um studying that you've taken to do the work that you do like have you had any like education have you had like you said you worked in workshops and whatnot but I know that you've taken like a variety of other studies and whatnot to do what you do right so to be safe good at what you do to be good at what you do right instead of just assuming this role and being like oh I'm like tomorrow I was like I'm gonna go out and do this I wouldn't be good at it (laughs) (laughs) what you're doing but obviously you're educated and you've taken the time you've taken the the resources and whatnot that like you've search out the resources to be the best at what you do. So what does an educated dominatrix look like? Is what I'm I'm saying. Um, I think that honestly, you can take a million workshops and if you have no experience, you're not going to be very good. I'm also going to be very honest with you that I, and this might get me some flack and I'm going to stand by it, that you have to have some level of authenticity in your domination beyond being mean. Yes. Because domination is not about being mean or cruel. It's about power. Um, and I think that there's two things is that one, exactly that, like in terms of the very physical safety, um, sort of standard, I'm not going to lie to you aspects. Like that's the thing is I, I've, 
Uh, approximately about eight years ago, I had read pretty much every single kinky book on the market. Okay. I haven't necessarily caught up with that, but I was obsessed. I read every single thing that I could read. I went to every single workshop that I could go to. I listened to my elders a lot as well, which I think is something that is slowly being lost in how accessible BDSM is, especially through the internet. Okay. Um, and I had a lot of assistance. Also, I'm going to be very real with you. Like I had relationships where I made mistakes. And like I'm going to be accountable to the fact that those mistakes probably hurt some of my partners sometimes. And that is not something that I am proud to say, but it is something that I'm saying to be accountable to. Um, and that isn't necessarily the education that I recommend, but I think that's also why community is so important. Absolutely. And I don't necessarily think that you need to become a community member to be educated by the community. But I think that having resources outside of your interpersonal relationship is immensely important if you want to actually be a safe and sane dom. Absolutely. Um, I also will just say, like, if you if you don't have a natural instinct, because I honestly believe that domination is leadership, and it's not about necessarily being cruel. Being cruel is me being a sadist, right? And so I think that a lot of times, if you don't necessarily have that natural instinct or that natural power, a lot of the time you can make money, but you're going to burn out really fast. Sure. Um, And so something that I've had is a lot of time, like people, like clients will tell me, they're like, I can tell that you genuinely love this. Like, you love kink. Like, you are genuinely very kinky. And that's the thing is, I'm going to be very honest with you, I actually know quite a few pro-doms that are vanilla in their life, and that is super, super, super okay, because, like, <laughs> their personal life has absolutely no bearing on their profession. Yeah. However, I do think that having an authentic interest is super important because that's also going to drive your education. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's not going to feel like a chore where like you're taking a four-year degree and you're like, I don't care about math, but I need this so to be like a fucking whatever I want to be. Yeah, you know. So if you have that passion, you're going to chase information. Yeah, right. And if you're not chasing information, that's when you start doing it wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. And so, like, I think that at this point, especially because BDSM and kink has become far more accessible on the internet especially from um a lot of like real experiences like i honestly learned so much of what i really needed to learn from real couples not necessarily books not porn not necessarily what people were trying to show but like boards of couples talking about their problems you know and that doesn't necessarily mean like the safety aspects of like where you should and shouldn't hit on the body because those are also very you know um important things and that's also something that i say to people that do approach me and they're like i want to be a dominatrix i'm like cool do you know that there's a risk of embolism no matter how lightly you choke someone do you know where you're going to hit on the body and have your client leave feeling fine and then pissing blood two weeks later or two days later pardon me do you feel comfortable with having someone come on your feet and cleaning that off yeah like these questions yeah questions yeah Yeah. totally and like and every dominatrix has their boundaries so i'm not necessarily saying that like you know we're all we're all the same per se but like domination is still sex work yeah right and it is a level of sex work that you need to be you need to know about the anatomy you need to know about human psychology you need to have an understanding of yourself and what you're bringing to the session and your weaknesses and your strengths and you need to play on your strengths because like i have my weaknesses but I play on my strengths yeah. because that's what your client and your submissive often needs to see. Sure. Totally. totally. Yeah. No. So you had that. also mentioned that you had gone to um, Chicago for training and you had gone to a variety of like workshops and whatnot. 
throughout your um, like history in kink and BDSM. So can you tell us a little bit about like when you spent time in Chicago, like learning? So I wasn't in Chicago, but I would love to go to Chicago. Oh, okay, sorry, that's my bad. I have a fantastic education conference called okay. the Kink Academy that I actually have always wanted to go to prior okay. to COVID. Yeah. Um, I do go to the Master Slave Conference every year, which is in Washington, D.C., prior okay. to COVID. Um, so that's also a little bit different because, weirdly enough, that is actually a leather conference, which is sort of the subsection community of kink that kink community kind of came from. Okay. That's a whole other history. They actually do come from two separate parts, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, um, but one thing that I have actually found very helpful in terms of my career is I've gone to DomCon, which is an international, um, it is a kink conference, but it is primarily hosted by and for pro-dominatrixes. Sure. Okay. So one was in LA and one was in New Orleans. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and so that's also a fantastic thing because you start to also meet people that aren't necessarily in your style. Mm-hmm. And you have people, like, for example, like I went to this workshop, I believe, by Justin Cross, and the entire thing was just about verbal domination. And I'm going to tell you, like, she had this, uh, it was like a demo, and some brave soul offered himself <laughs> up. And I learned so much from watching her work in a workshop. Yeah. You know, and that's also the thing is that you never stop learning in kink. And the second that you think that you know everything, you're wrong. <laughs> and you learn more, right? So and you learn amazing. more, exactly. Because ultimately kink, even though it is such a physical-based activity, is truly based on psychology. And psychology never ends. So um, and so, like, I am very fortunate to be in Toronto. I, prior to COVID, have... Is, there is an extensive community here. There is a subsection of the femdom community. Actually, one of the munches in the city is the uh, FDSA, Female Dominant Submissive Admirer Munch. Cool. And they actually uh, base their format off of a discussion. Um, and so, like, just honestly, I think that the consistency in education and also the consistency in education across different educators. Because the more that you get that's really almost the point of pride. Like the, the that's the productivity is that the more perspectives that you get on such a malleable thing, the more information you're going to have on it. So I would also recommend those work, uh, both of those conferences to sure. anyone that is interested in going mm-hmm. to a conference. I will say that DomCon is a party. You don't have to party. Cool. DomCon is a bit of a party. Um, the Master Slave Conference is far more introspective, and it is far more leather-based, okay. um, which means that it is a weirdly more tighter community, and there's a lot more rules and regulations, okay. um, but it is also one of the places that has really made me challenge myself as a dom. Okay. In the sense that, like, when I, when I started, I was like, I'm a dominant, I'm hot, I'm great, <laughs> I can do this. Now I'm like, oh my god, I have so much to learn. <laughs> I'm not six years in. Yeah. Right? Like, like, I actually almost have more confidence in my abilities when I started, and that's not because I haven't gotten any better. I've gotten phenomenally better mm-hmm. in terms of especially, like, the physical aspects, which really do just require practice. But yeah. I think that a lot of the psychological aspects really require a lot of self-respect, uh, self-introspection okay, and a lot of self-control. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a so I have a bit of a question. So from my psychology background and my sociology background, um, I come in with a very different mindset than I think maybe other people do, because other people see it as for what it is. I am like, okay, well, back up. 
so I come in with, and I will say they're biases, because I, I know a bit more about yeah. how the brain works and how trauma yeah. impacts people's needs. And, you know, maybe somebody who in their life growing up was a victim of abuse or childhood neglect, they want to see, they want to be powerful. They want to be dominant. They they end up being abusers sometimes. And this is totally different, but I'm saying, like, abusers, yeah, yeah. No, they end up true. being dominant in their relationships. How I is that related? abusers and dominance can cross even in that own totally place. right totally. like when does it become like all of a sudden like let's say you were working with somebody and all of a sudden they're like I'm not consenting stop you would you would stop I know that yes. but some people might not and so I'm just curious where it kind of starts to where does it formulate for you like where does that where do you fall with that because like where my, is the where where is the division of ethics or like well, where too I think people but that have trauma yeah like do, do well, you think a lot question. of people with trauma approach this like do you think this I, is how like a lot of people that come to this lifestyle have trauma um I don't want to make a statement on the quantity of just because one I don't know yeah um, be honest with you I'm just yeah. curious yeah um, what you're yeah, yeah, no, no, no. yeah. it's, it's actually a super valid question I really like this question because a lot of people often say you're only into kink because you've been abused in xyz way sure. and I have met a lot of people that haven't that I've honestly I honestly think that there's kind of two there there are people that have had some sort of trouble in their life and there's also people that have had a life that is so fucking normal that they're so fucking bored yeah. that they literally want something that's more exciting than what they've had so I do think that that exists totally and that's why I don't necessarily um, want to like push a narrative of kinksters having trauma however I do want to speak on that because I think it's a very important thing that a lot of people do approach kink as a way to engage with their trauma in um, a consensual way that is often called mastery play and I'm a big fan of this so mm. a, a great story a kind of anecdote that I have is that I my ex-boyfriend okay. was not kinky um, one of the few vanilla relationships that I had and he had been very deeply physically abused as a child okay and one day I kind of turned to him, this was a long, long time into our relationship. We had built a lot of trust, all that kind of stuff. And I turned to him and I was like, do you trust me? And he was like, yes. And I was like, I want you to let me flog you. And like immediate fear, immediate fear. Yeah. Right. And I was like, it's not going to hurt unless you let me. And the other thing with flogging specifically is that a flogger will not hurt if I don't hit you hard with it. Mm -hmm. versus it can bruise you if I hit you very hard with it. I, I, I look at I look at M because she got a flog one time and I was like, I love it malleable toy. It's the most malleable toy and it's a great start uh, starting toy for it that is. exact reason because you can slowly increase the intensity with Absolutely. it. And that's exactly what I did was literally I was like I started and I was like, does this hurt? And he's like, no. And I was like, exactly. See? Yeah. And then I basically said to him, I was like, can I make this hurt a little bit? And he's like, sure. Made it hurt a little bit. And I was like, anytime you want me to, just say so. Mm -hmm. Right? Basically, let's fast forward. We got to a kind of a more intense point, and he said, stop. And I stopped. And this full grown ass man started burst into tears because he was like, that's the first time that Evans ever stopped when I said stop. Oh. Right? And so, like, I'm not necessarily saying that everybody has that experience. Yeah. But, like, that's what I love about this concept of mastery play. Yeah. Um, so I think that mastery play... Mastery play is basically this idea of, like, you consenting to something that has traumatized you. It's also why a lot of rape victims often have rape fantasies. 
And that's also super okay because that is a way for them to basically, and it's honestly like PTSD is now treated by combining reliving your traumatic incidences with uh, MDMA to recode your pathways. Yeah. And I'm not saying that kink has the same therapeutic value because that would honestly be unethical to kind of claim that. But I do think that there is a possibility to essentially revisit experiences that you had no control over. Yeah. And now you do. And I do think that there is a very important way that you actually can sort of change those neural pathways to have a more positive and controlled experience. Like that trauma is never going to go away, no yeah. matter how much you build on top of it. But, you know, you can at least distance yourself from the person that had no control to being the person that has control. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's very valid. And also, I'll be very honest with you, like I didn't come from the best place yeah um and I I will be honest with you like a huge part of my domination is actually safety it is one of the few places that I feel comfortable asking for what I need because I wasn't able to do so and instead of having to be like okay I'm gonna ask for this but oh my god are they gonna hate me blah 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 this person has told me I want to do what you want yeah Right? And so for the first time, it's this way of me being able to say, like, okay, I want this. And and I do think that, honestly, and this is something that I've been exploring internally a lot, I do think that especially if you do come to domination, you have a history of, honestly, anything, whether it's uh, abuse, toxicity, even just, like, mildly healthy, I think that you really really need to do some work because back when BDSM was a community and not a hobby, Um, the community really taught a lot. You had your elders and your peers, and they really sort of challenged a lot of that inner toxicity that you can bring and can express yourself, can express itself through domination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to be real, again, accountability. Like, I definitely did that. I regret it. That's why I see it as such an important issue is because I think that when you come as a dominant and you do have these, you know, this background, and there is so much rhetoric around you know, don't be a dom, like, you can't be in control unless you control yourself, and it's like, that's great, that's absolutely true, it didn't stop 19-year-old me from wanting the only thing I'd ever wanted, yeah, right, and, like, at that time, I didn't have enough self-awareness to fucking know what I was, and you're young, right, like, you're figuring yourself out, Mm -hmm. exactly, and that doesn't necessarily excuse the consequences, but at the same time, it's an explanation for, like, what the fuck, yeah, and so, I, I do think that, like, a lot of people, both submissive and dominant, can kind of come, um, from unhealthy place, I don't think it's inherent, but mm-hmm. I do think that they, they can, and I think that it honestly just requires a lot more self-introspection, um, a lot more patience, and a lot more grace. Like, for example, if I have a submissive that comes to me, and they're like, hey, I've been fucking abused my entire life, and I, I you know, or, or even, like, I've been abused, and I've gotten over this, and I've had these experiences, but yeah. I, I want this, but I might respond this way. Grace is huge. Right, and and how much you can trust the person that you're dealing with to be that is a good person that might just be acting in a way they shouldn't, but sure. they don't want like they, they don't intend to like they're not trying to hurt you and like being able to communicate. So I think that honestly, like it's it's awkward because I think that a lot of people that do have any trauma or abuse in their history can be not always can be very attracted to kink and for very good reason. I just also think that a lot of harmful stuff can hide in that kink and it requires quite a bit of introspection and growth that I also think that kink can help with so really it comes down to honesty and accountability can you say to your partner hey 
I'm still kind of in the process of being shitty, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> Are you going to explore this with me? Obviously, nobody actually says that, but do you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, you can say a version of that. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. a version of it. Yeah, and I yeah. think that that's really important. I think that that's also something in terms of dominance is that a lot, especially as starting as a dominant, a lot of the things were like, you need to constantly be in control. You need to have experience. You need to know what you're doing. And so I faked it. Yeah. Right? Fake it till you make it. Yeah. That wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Like, that's not an area where you should fake it till you make it. That's an area where you should find you should someone know. and teach you what to do. Well, right? Yeah. So, like, but that, that's a thing. That's a, that's a narrative that I honestly really want to challenge. It's like, yes, to be a dominant, you should know what the fuck you're doing. But also, like, what do you do when you first realize that you're a dominant and you, you don't know what to do? Like, yeah. you, you shouldn't have to learn through mistakes. So, like, you know, who can you approach? Where can you learn from? Like, mm-hmm. I think that these are all very important questions. And I think that, you know, and I've also spoken to a lot of people who have been abused under the guise of kink. Like, it is a great area, right? Like, that's the thing is that it's where, like, kink is ultimately doing bad things ethically. That is the sum total of said, what kink is. And love said, that. I right? love yeah. that. Yeah. Doing bad things ethically. Oh, and I like, think. Literally, Amazing. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that the reason I come to this question is because when you, I know from personal experience and from talking to others, when you've maybe been abused by a man or a woman, sometimes you want that power back. So like this is a way to get power back, right? And now you have the power and that person respects it or they... Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, like, whatever dynamic you come up with. Whatever dynamic you come up with. There's an ideal, and there is a lot of harm in kink, and I don't want to just say that because someone's kinky, they can do whatever they want. I think that's really dangerous. But exactly that. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that there's a lot of value in people, and that's exactly the thing. I think that kink gives a lot of ownership to people deciding what they want to do within the relationship. And it was interesting because there was actually a study that came out that showed that kinky relationships actually tend to be happier and healthier than vanilla relationships and it's not because of the kink it's because of the communication yeah right so to be in kink you really need to communicate you know you need to communicate your limits you need to communicate what you're into you need to communicate what the fuck it's coming from yeah mm-hmm. you know exactly. what i mean you, yeah. you need to have like there's a negotiation like in a ds relationship you sit down and you say this is what i want from our relationship and they say okay i can do that or i can't let's work on it you don't usually have that in a vanilla relationship usually Love you just kind of end up together Mm-hmm. Like you like each other, and, and then you, you just bump, keeps going. Bump thirties in the night. <laughs> oh, what is it called? Yeah. Yeah. Bump uglies. <laughs> bump uglies. <laughs> the same bump. We bumping uglies in the night. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You're no, it's true though. I've been there too. Like I'm just saying, like you just kind of like you just kind of go with the flow go, and just see what happens. Goes. Exactly. Usually through conflict as opposed to like communication. Mm-hmm. And totally. Times, you have to kind of totally. sit down and be like, hundred percent. What are your triggers? What are your traumas? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's, it, it is very much this sort of, like, you have to sit down, and because you're sort of consciously building this relationship, it does, and, and again, that's not to say that every, that's the ideal. Yes. Right? And I think that that is also a huge thing that needs to be acknowledged about the kink and the BDSM community is that we hold very lofty ideals. That doesn't mean that the community always reaches them. You know, and so like we do have these these visions of ethics and communication and, and and all this kind of stuff, but it is also important, I think, especially as a submissive, to know your boundaries and be strong yes. enough to 
to to to uh, to be to enforce them. Mm-hmm. And I think as a dom, you need to know the ways that you're toxic as shit, and you need to protect your partner from them. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be a dom, but you need to protect your partner from them. Yeah, and tell them, statement. be like, here's yeah. where I'm a shitty person. Here's where I'm broken, but here's where I'm at. Like, here's this where I'm exactly. at. This is what I'm dealing with at the moment. Well, sometimes it's where this you're is- a shitty person. I'm not agree with that, because there are ways that I am a shitty person, because I think that all people have ways that they're a oh, shitty 100%. person. Oh, 100%. Nobody's perfect, right? So Exactly, right? And, like, I have, I definitely have issues like i'm not saying that i uh, communicate perfectly all the Mm -hmm. time and that shit i gotta own in fact as the leader of the relationship like that shit i have to own yes right that is a very important like it's like that is shit that i have to say oh i did that Mm -hmm. right because that's the only way that it can be ethical you know and that's the thing is that i think that domination really imposes this kind of perfection that's very unrealistic and i think that that actually almost does more damage sometimes because especially as a new dom you want to live up to that perfection Mm -hmm. but you're not yeah you're not especially as a new dom right like if you're still i'm 27 i've been a dom since i was 19 if you're still in your 20s and you're calling yourself a dom you're not there yet i'm saying that as someone that thought i was there i thought i was there (laughs) Okay, I thought I was 22. I thought I was the fucking shit. And yeah. Like, no. <laughs> no. You ain't the shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're all 22-year-olds think that way. Can, can yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> like, yeah. but, but that is that is a huge component. It's sort of like, like I think that, you know, the, the what we see about kink and what we see about BDSM and the ideals about BDSM are very black and white. Yes. And life isn't that way. Relationships yeah. don't exist that way. <laughs> People aren't that way, dominant or submissive. Absolutely. Right? And as a dominant, I think that honestly one of the best leadership's characteristics that you can have is owning your shit and then fixing your shit. Not yeah. just being like, Counseling. oh, I suck. <laughs> Therapy. <Being> like, I- <laughs> Yeah, go to therapy. And so, if I this is kind of just a little, this is kind of more of a, I assume would be a short answer. In your experience, if somebody came to you and all of a sudden you realized was being triggered, how would you address that? Or if you are being triggered, how would you address that? That is a fantastic question. Um, so first and foremost, I think that's great that you also framed that as me seeing, recognizing someone as being triggered instead of someone actually saying that they're well, being so, triggered. Well, so far from what I've learned of you, I think you would recognize because you oh, are I, X amount of years in and I think that maybe not all people would recognize, but you specifically, I feel like would probably, unless somebody happened. unless somebody was hiding it really well, would probably recognize Which has also happened. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, so either somebody like, says to you, whoa, whoa, I'm being triggered, hold up, I got shit, or you notice, how would you deal with that? So I think that if someone, so, so first, like, same way as basically safe wording, right, in any capacity, that's kind of our way of basically saying, like, so a safe word is basically in BDSM, the idea of no, that goes beyond the word no. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes in BDSM, you want to use the word no, and you don't mean no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or, like, you want to say, I don't like this, and... You, Maybe, like you know it. what I mean? There is yeah. a lot of that thing. So so safe wording is kind of um, exactly that. It's basically saying, I need this to end. This is not part of the role play. I'm out. Yeah. Like, end. Um, and I think that, first and foremost, it's very important to stop. Yes. Second of all, it's very important to reassure the bottom. They did a good job. Yeah. And I'm going to be very honest with you. As a top, like, I need to trust someone's consent. If you say no to me... I might be in the middle of something and there might be a part of me that's like, eh, 
But ultimately, like, like that's a second. That's a single second. Yeah. The rest of me is like, thank God you said something yeah. so that I'm not now doing something. And I say this to people when they come into the dungeon. I'm like, if you're in a position and your knee hurts, tell me. Because that is not the discomfort that I want you to experience. And I don't want you to be distracted from the experience I'm trying to create. 100%. So even if you have to say to me, within or without the role play, you can say to me, I need to move if it's immediate. Or you yeah. can say, ma'am, may I? And I go, sure. And they say, I'm experiencing discomfort here. And I'm like, great, let's move you. Yeah. Right? So even within that, like, I think that honestly, honesty is huge. And honesty is a huge part of why I need to trust my bottom. And I have had that experience where literally I checked in with someone. I was like, how are you doing? They're like, I'm doing great. I was like, great. You seem okay. Like, they're they're a bit stoic of a person. Sure. Honestly, a little bit harder to tell. But, um, and then they sent me an email. And they're like, this is not your fault in any capacity. I actually wasn't comfortable, and I said yes, and I shouldn't have. And I was like, first and foremost, thank you for this, because now I have more information, right? But also, too, like, and I actually said this, I was like, as a top, your responsibility is to know how to not hurt your bottom. As a bottom, your responsibility is to say no. Like, because that is what keeps me ethical. Mm Mm-hmm. And I genuinely believe that if you're not ready to say no, you might not be ready to put yourself in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, again, a, a, same as the dichotomy of the Dom thing, right? I'm not saying don't explore kink, um, because I think that obviously, like, you need to have experience to kind of get over those hang-ups sometimes. Um, but I do think that it is very important for submissives to know that that's how you create trust in a dom. Yeah. Is by honestly saying no when you reach no. Because that means that I don't have to constantly be fucking worried about whether or not you're actually okay. Yeah. You know, I can focus on building the experience and being safe and what I'm doing next. And, like, I can, I have so much more that I can, like, do than instead of worrying about whether or not you're actually really, truly consenting to, and, like, it's weird because I don't want to say be enjoying the experience because sometimes people enjoy experiences they're not enjoying. It's a very, there's no language for that kind of contradiction in kink. Um, but I also do think that if you ever encounter a dom and you say for it or even communicate to them or a dom or a top, because those things are actually not interchangeable. Okay. And I, I speak as a dom, so that's why I use that word. They're actually sure. not just yep. Um, but I honestly think that if you encounter someone and, and they're like, fuck your no, run. Like that is not a dominant person. That is an abusive person. Okay. And, and even... You know, recently, like I said, someone to, I said something to someone where I was like, "Hey, I have noticed that you say yes to a lot of things that you don't actually want to do," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Stop that!" Yeah, like that's <laughs> say no, not gonna work. Yeah, don't do that. Um, yeah, it's not a good relationship, and, anyways. Yeah, and but it's also it can be hard, especially as a submissive person, right? Like a yeah. submissive person inherently wants to please like that's part of the thing and I think that's something that's really important and I've kind of seen the light bulb go off in a couple sub slash bottoms heads is that I'm like you actually reduce my stress when you communicate your needs and your limits to me because instead of guessing and having to do all that emotional labor like I can focus on what I'm almost getting from this because I can trust you yes to tell me 
Um, and also, like, I will just say for mm. anyone that doesn't know, like, there's also a gradient in terms of even safe words. So, like, the standard is green, yellow, red. Green means I'm having a great time. Yellow means I'm getting there, but we're okay, but yeah. I'm communicating to you that it's getting intense for me and I'm kind of approaching that limit. And red means stop. Okay. And red can also mean two different things. Red can mean this session needs to be over, and red can mean I need you to check it. And that's also something, as I've had experiences where I'm like, somebody, I've had also experiences where somebody's like, I want you to push me until I call red. Okay. Great. You know, but for example, like I've had experiences where people are like, I'm out, and that's the end of the session. I'm going home. Bye. (laughs) Either I'm going home or like, hey, can we just hang out and chat for a little bit? I'm like, Mm -hmm. fuck yeah. Or red, like, I need this activity to stop, but I still want to continue the session. Just a break. Yeah. Right? And so mm-hmm. I honestly use red as a safe word for the most part just because it's so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also something that I tell even my clients that are first approaching me is that, like, honestly, if we're not doing a role play, like, if we're doing a, a consensual, non-consent role play where, like, you are supposed to be saying no to me, absolutely we need a safe word. Yeah. If you are literally coming to me to have your first experience I'm really not going to hit you with everything I have. I want yeah. you to actually enjoy yourself, you know? Build, right? And so yeah. Like, yeah, and so in that experience, usually if someone says, I don't like this, that's enough. Yep. Like, I often play with without safe words because oftentimes stop is enough. <laughs> yeah. Unless right? the person's really experienced, you've met them before, you have a relationship, then it's a whole other Yeah, and you've established and, oh, a safe yeah. word and whatnot. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, I've done kidnapping role play. Yeah. Right? So Where, cool. like, somebody comes in, they want me to pounce on them the second they walk through the door, and there is absolutely no person-to-person interaction. It is literally, like, top and bottom. And in that situation, that is something that you need to pre-negotiate, like, hey, you know, red kind of thing. And in that situation, also, like, at one point, he was gagged, so we also had, like, a physical. Like, he would snap his fingers. Okay. You know, if, 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 like, because he was gay. Because he could talk, yeah. Yeah, and so that was, and it's also, like, um, even something I'll tell clients is that even if there is a little bit of role play, there's a lot of ways that you can check in without actually disrupting it. Yeah. So even saying something like, Tell me what you like. In the middle of a lot of terrible shit happening to you, it can be simultaneously, this is what I'm enjoying and I'm telling you that, and also admitting how much of a fucking pervert you are. <laughs> there you go. Right? Like, and nice. also, like, t- like, tell me that you like this. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that might not, but, like, there are ways that you can kind of check in within the role play mm-hmm. or like even saying to someone beg for it you know yeah. like that is a way that you can generally tell yeah. if, <laughs> if you're doing one thing and they're begging for something else you're like i'm gonna stop like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly and that's also something that i think is really and that's something that i talk about a lot as a pro is that people are like oh what are your favorite kinks and i'm like oh, i hate this question because mm-hmm. first and foremost like i i have my kinks um some of my kinks suck with some people some of my kinks are my favorite things with other people honestly i'm gonna be telling you my, my kink is power and you know what power comes from power comes from desire um and oftentimes and this is what makes me a really great pro is that people are like hey i want this and I'm like great i fucking know what you want now i'm gonna use that against you 
right? And yeah. not in an unconsensual way, but like, great, you have a foot fetish and you're also kind of curious about chastity. Great, you're going into chastity so I can wiggle my feet at you the entire time because that's what you're kind of scared of and basically say to you, hey, if you want this, you get that. Yeah. And that is often a way that is actually a very accessible power that is also very um, variable amongst individuals. Yeah. Right? And so I think that oftentimes, like, actually knowing what my submissive wants, my mm-hmm. bottom or my submissive, what they want, is actually incredibly powerful. So even exactly as you said, like, like, okay, I told you to beg for this, and now you're begging for this. Great. Fucking awesome information. Yeah. Now you let's go that, there. Now have even more power yeah. <laughs> than what I was trying to get you to do this other thing. Exactly. So now you are Mistress Augustina, and how do people find you? How do people book with you? How do they get to know you? How do they search you up? How do they learn about your rules and your how you do your business? How do they find you? Um, first and foremost, mistressaugustina.ca is a great place to start. Um, you can also go to mistressaugustina.com if you don't remember well enough because they're both going to redirect you to me. There you go. However, uh... I have spent a lot of time in terms of my website, and I've also tried to use my website as partially educational as well. That is something that I want to expand in the future. Um, but ultimately, that really is my services. Okay. okay. Um, I think that, and I'm actually not going to speak for just myself on this one. I think that if you honestly really want to get to know a sex worker that you would like to book and they have Twitter, start there. Okay. Because a lot of my Twitter is branding. A lot of my Twitter is also me just being my ridiculous ass self. And I'm going to tell you right now, like, I have literally on Twitter posted the books that I've read. And it's gotten, like, six likes, whereas a photo will get, like, over 200. Yeah. And I will have someone book me. Because I posted their favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Yeah. That literally happened. That's yes. cool. Like, and so that's something that I came to learn is that oftentimes so much of my most popular stuff isn't actually why people book me. And so if you want to kind of get to know, like, my Instagram is not necessarily as authentic. It is often, I do a lot of uh, fetish modeling. I have a lot of professional photography. I love that. It's an art form to me. I want to present yeah. that. That's what my Instagram is for. It's, you know, sometimes I'm in the stories ranting about shit without makeup on in my pajamas. Yeah. That's when you kind of get to know me. There you go. Right, right, there, there is sort of that. And and I will say that, um, you know, a lot of times when people want to expose themselves, they also want to kind of see a little bit of who you might be. So in terms of um, just plugging myself, because I'm going to do it. Do it. Do it. Yay. Uh, would be the primary source of information and also just to find out all of my services online or otherwise. Okay. Otherwise, in terms of in-person domination is currently subject to the COVID-19 flow. Um, hoping to get vaccinated very soon so that I can be a little bit more open. But, you know, it is part of that process right now. I have, you know, opened up on a lot of different websites, OnlyFans, AVNs, ManyVids, I, I Want Clips, blah, 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 blah. Similar thing on my website, you can access all of those things. And also, like, um, you can even just click, like, online domination. Um, and I think that's also actually one thing that's kind of cool about COVID is that it forced a lot of people to expand their business for better yeah. or worse. And there's a lot of things I found out that I enjoyed that I didn't think I was going to enjoy. 
making clips a year ago. Hated it. Now, so much fun. There you go. Um, so, those are ways that you can find me in terms of social media. I believe it is on Twitter, serve, at serve Augustina. And then Instagram is at Augustina Portfolio because they deleted Serve Augustina and ruined my consistency. Goddamn Instagram. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even care about the account. I care about the username. I'm like, just give me the username just back. Give it back. <laughs> give it back. Give it back. I need it. All of my social media can be uniform. Yeah. yeah. I would feel the same way. Oh, and then you so have a, sorry. I know. And then you have a backup Instagram account as well, just in case your main one gets um, taken down, right? Yeah, that's called Not Augustina, just to fuck with you. <laughs> there we go. That's amazing. I, I actually it. saw that following our account, and I was like, it, she's been hacked. And she was just like, and I was like, no, no, no it's legit. <laughs> No, literally, I was like, when my account got deleted and I switched to my backup account, which was Augustina Backup, until I switched it, and I was like, what's my new backup going to be called? And I was like, I'm just going to play a joke on Instagram and say it's not Augustina. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, not Augustina. We're so, so glad that you were able to give us tons and tons of um, information today. Yeah. Lots of education. And being so open and honest. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. We love it. Yeah, I know. It's super awesome. And so we would love to have you back again. Sometime, yes, that but would be perfect. I would love to come back. Yeah, yeah. we've okay. really enjoyed this. This has been super fun. This so if you want to awesome. find us... So you can find us at La Petite Mort Pod on Instagram, not on Facebook, because it's a little spicy and boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can also stream us on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, CastBox, and whatnot, <laughs> at La Petite Mort Pod. Um, and you can also email us at lapetitemorepod at gmail.com if you've got any questions, concerns, fun listener stories that you want to send in. And until next time, when, when in, in doubt, doubt, lube it out. And right away. Bye. When in doubt, lube it up. I am going to so hardcore follow that message. <laughs> When in doubt, lube it up and write a will. Lube yeah. it out and write lube a will. Lube it out and write a will. As the fuck water bottle says, when spit and courage aren't enough. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny.